Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Grab your Bible this morning as we are still in the summer of Psalms. We're looking at Psalms. Psalm 38 this morning. Psalm 38 is a psalm that is also named after Psalm 70 this morning. But this morning we'll examine Psalm 38. It's fitting that we are looking at Psalm 38 after looking at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David during a time where he sinned against God and he pleads and cries out to God that he asked God to forgive him of his sins. However, in Psalm 38, it was penned by David as well. David in this psalm is crying out to God in his affliction. There's a probably a, a point in time in David's life where his body was falling apart, where he was aching. And it was because of his foolishness, of his own sin. But we'll examine that this morning. The reason I ask you to grab your Bible and not a, the, the, your, uh, your, my daily bread or a guidepost or a magazine this morning or a self-help book is because we here at Riverside believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They're divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, a Latin phrase that means the Bible and the Bible alone. You just heard me say that a Bible is our highest authority, not the deacons, not the congregation, not the culture, not the government, not me, not you. But the Bible is the final say-so in our life. The Bible tells us about faith. Sola fide, a Latin phrase that means faith alone. That we have faith and confidence and trust in something. You have faith this morning. You say, well, I don't understand this faith concept. Well, you have faith this morning that that pew was able to hold you up. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting in it. You have faith this morning that this building won't fall in on you. So you have faith in the nails and the border and, and the nails and the, and, and the bricks and all the, the rafters that run across here. You have faith in that. You have faith in the guy who's coming into oncoming traffic that he won't go over that yellow line and hit you head on. Otherwise, you wouldn't have drove here today. So you do have faith. But the Bible tells us that we have faith in something or someone. It's really a someone. Sola Christus, a Latin phrase that means Christ and Christ alone. We have faith in Jesus alone. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. We don't have faith in our church attendance. We don't have faith in our baptismal records. We don't have faith in our tithing. We have faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus deviates. Sola Deo Gloria. Sola Gracia. I don't want to jump the gun. Sola, sola Gracia. And that's Grace and grace alone, that we're saved simply by grace. Look at somebody and say, I'm saved by grace. I am saved by grace and grace alone. And all that culminates with a beautiful jewel on the top of the crown. Sole Deo Gloria, that God alone receives the glory. He, sees the, he receives the glory in the preaching today, the singing today, the fellowship today. He receives the glory when you leave here today and you go eat lunch somewhere and you get an afternoon nap or whatever you find in your heart your endeavors to do. He finds glory in your everyday mundane activities and your work and your resting. He alone receives the glory. So this morning let him receive glory as we look in Psalms 38. 38 verse number 1. 
No matter this morning if you're looking at the King James or ESV, both versions are in the Bible. In your Bibles are found in your pew this morning or you're looking at in your phone. I'm using the ESV this morning. But here this morning, the heading usually says, A Psalm of David for the Memorial Offering. This text was written to remember... David wrote this text for us to remember something. David is remembering. I don't know if he wrote this while he's going through or after or during. I don't really know. But it's good to remember. Remember an Ebenezer. Ebenezer is not a guy from the Christmas story. He's not a Charles Dickinson story. Ebenezer is the name of the rock of help that we read in 1 Samuel. If you're here on Wednesday nights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A place, a memorial, a monument where you remember God helped you. Do you have an Ebenezer? A moment, a memorial, a moment, a monument that you remember God intervened. God helped you in your hardest moment in your darkest hour. Did God intervene? And it's good to remember because we usually forget. David wrote a memorial offering. He says in verse number 1, O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. First of all, David says, remember me, but don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't let your... Anger outruns your mercy is what David says here. Have you ever prayed in such a way? No, you got to hear me this morning. Have you ever messed up so bad? Maybe your neighbor don't know it. Maybe the preacher don't know it. But we are, are, are confident to know that God knows it. And have you ever prayed in such a way? Lord, don't strike me down in your anger. Rebuke me not in your anger. There's been times where I had to have discipline, discipline my children or have to deal with an issue that's very explosive. And I had to calm myself down before I went into that, that, that situation because it could have gotten worse. Not that God's emotional, but David is crying out to God, Oh Lord, please don't rebuke me in your wrath. For your wrath might supersede your grace and your mercy. David knows here that he's offended a holy God. So he's asking him not to be rebuked. Rebuked in his anger. It's almost as if David is crying out to God like a child to a father. Nor discipline me in your wrath. For your wrath might be heavy handed, God. Verse 2. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. David feels the weight of God on him. What a blessing it is to feel the weight of God on you. Many people try to smother their conscience when the conscience is an alarm bell to your heart and your soul. Whenever your knee is injured, we take ibuprofen or something a little stronger to get through the pain. But our body's natural instinct is to have pain receptors to say, hey, something's wrong. The same is true with our conscience. We feel the weight of God on us. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't simply turn you over? He's still poking at you and pulling at you. Still stirring you. Just like a faithful father to his children. I'm thankful that my God does not simply leave me to myself in my mess. Amen, somebody. 
Your arrows have sunk into me, saying that God has injured him. We know that anything that drives us to our knees is a blessing. Amen. Sometimes our blessings draw us away from God and what we think is a blessing. That good job might, might, might have you working too many hours to read your Bible and pray. It might even draw you away from the congregation on a Sunday or Wednesday. That nice car might draw you away from God because you're puffed up with pride. That new promotion or that, that, that new house or uh, anything that we consider a blessing will draw us away from God. And many times the cursings, the afflictions draw us nearer to God. Isn't it strange? But then again, the text found in Romans 8 tells us that all things... Do you hear me this morning? That all things. Cancer sometimes. All things. Depression. All things. Betrayal by family members. All things work towards good for those who love God. Notice the key word is there. you got to love God. You ain't mad at God because He brought trouble your way. You, you are thankful even in the good times and in the bad for it draws you closer to God. Woo! Preachers preaching this morning. I know. He says, and your hand has come down on me. Thank you, Lord. Can you say it with me, this con congregation, this morning? Thank you, Lord, that your hand is heavy on me. That it's not light on me. That you keep me and you hold me. I've used this analogy quite often. I love my babies and I love my kids, but they, they was wild at one point. Training and teaching and discipline. There was a point where we would leave grocery stores and walk out the front door and they would dart out into the parking lot. But they needed training and discipline like any child, just like your babies and just like you. The way we disciplined and taught them is I would put my hand on their shoulder and it would just remind them to walk beside daddy. Walk beside daddy. Don't dart out there on your own. Don't run out into traffic into danger. David had the same analogy here. Your hand has come down on me. And you this morning can probably say the same thing. I feel His hand on me. I feel the warmth on me. And sometimes I feel the grip on me. That He holds me. And that I want to run. And sometimes I try, I try to snatch and run off on my own. But He has a hold on me. Amen somebody. Yeah, I'm a little crazy. But i got to say it crazy for crazy people to really grasp what I'm saying. Your hand has come down on me is what David says. Sometimes that pressure and that grip hurts, but it needs to. David even says in verse 3, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Sin is not something just spiritual. It can also affect your body. It would also affect your mind. It will affect your personality. It will rot your bones. Sin walks up to you and whispers in your ear with its forked tongue, tickling your tongue, telling you sweet lies, covered in leather and lace, and everything that you want. And when you adhere to it, it takes the soundness of your flesh, let alone your mind. And God's indignation... Every time sin lies to you, it lies to you and never produces what it promised you. You'll be so fulfilled. You'll be so happy. 
Christian, you'll never be happy in sin. Never. You cannot be happy in sin. It's impossible. You only find the fullness thereof found in Jesus and walking in holiness. Here David says, because of your indignation, that God is angry with sin. Let's not, let's not, let's not pull any punches here. Let's just tell it like it is. God is angry with sinners. What? I thought God loved everybody, preacher. Aren't you supposed to love the sinner or hate the sin? That's not in your Bible. Gandhi said that. That's not in Scripture. This morning, which one does he throw into hell? The sinner or the sinner? The sinner goes to hell. God is angry with sinners. So why would you dabble in sin? Why would you play with sin like it was a, a viper in a basket? First chance it gets, that sin will sink its fangs into your heart and ruin you. David says here, my soundness of my flesh is gone because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. He's offended God. And now his body feels the results. My iniquities in verse 4 have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. David is drowning in sin this morning. I wonder this morning, are you drowning in sin? Has it gone over your head like the sea billows? Does it roll over you? Does it control over you? Does it keep you and is it pulling you down deeper into the depths of the abyss known as hell? David cries out, they have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. David says, this is too big for me. I can't carry it. You're not designed to carry the burdens of this world. You weren't created to carry the boulders of sin. You, Christian, were created to carry the cross. You were designed to take up your cross and follow Christ. How will you do that if you're carrying boulders of offense? David says here, they're too heavy for me. I wonder, have you ever cried out in your sins this way? It's good for you, church. It's good for you, congregation, to pray the Psalms. If you don't know what to say to God, then open up the book of Psalms chapter 38 and pray this to God. My sins are over my head. I'm going down. My bones are aching, Lord. It flows over me and it's too heavy for me to carry any longer. Have you ever prayed in such a way? Amen. In verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Have you ever come to yourself in a moment where your own odor stinks in your own nostrils? I ain't saying that somebody, well, you need to take a shower. I'm talking about your own flesh and your own infirmities to yourself. You're repulsive to yourself. No, no, no. Not in this culture. We like to look in our mirror and say, I am who I say I am. I can do what I say I can do. I'm a good person. I'm nice and kind. But when you come to Riverside, it seems like the preacher just pounds you in the midst of me because I use the Bible to say that you ain't all that. You aren't wonderful and pleasant. You're a sinner. And God's wrath remains upon you. Ooh, I'm going to call the police, preacher. You ain't doing it right. It's not what it, I'm supposed to leave out of here happy. I'd rather you leave out of here holy. Here he says, 
my wounds stink and they fester. You might be in here today and you smell like cologne. You look like, you smell like the latest fragrance that come out of a magazine. There was a time where I couldn't afford a cologne back in my earlier days. I would take the magazine and just rub it all over me and try to smell good. Y'all know y'all did it too. Don't try to lie. But here he says, my wounds fester and they stink because of my foolishness. Whether it's physical or spiritual, his wounds are festering. Sin will fester in you and ruin you this morning. Don't believe the lie. Just dabble and play with sin. And it'll be okay. It'll be fun for a season. And yeah, it will until it gets harder and harder to please those endorphins until it wrecks your physical and mental and spiritual being. Sin will ruin you. David says, because of my foolishness, sin is foolishness. Imagine finding a place of bliss, peace, and holiness, and goodness, and gladness, and denying that for something temporary and fleeting. I just described walking with Jesus, holding hands with Jesus, and dancing with the devil. It's not going to work. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. Joshua went on to continue in Joshua 24, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Too many fence riders, too many people coming to church on Sunday, maybe Wednesday, but the rest of the week, they serve another God. Spiritual harlotry. Even serving themselves, putting themselves on the throne, honoring what their wishes are instead of what God commands out of their lives. But there will be a day of reckoning. You will stand before God and give an account for your life. Because of my foolishness is what David says here. In verse 6, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all day long. I go about mourning. David is mourning over his sins. That's the problem in our society today. People don't mourn over their sins anymore. They celebrate them. They even call it pride. They get their own flag and they'll fly it around. But I ain't just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about all kinds of sins. We parade people by being promiscuous. We parade people by being gossips. We put them on TV. The biggest thieves are in government now. Biggest liars run our Congress. The more corrupt you are, the more power it seems you get. Because that's how the world works. But David mourns over his sins. Do you celebrate your sins? Do you enjoy your sins? That's the question. If you enjoy your sins this morning, God has not broke you enough yet to be healed. Let me go ahead and say, you go on sinning. God will simply turn you over to your sins. Enjoy yourself because this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. But for those who hate their sin and despise their sin, who are fighting their sins, who are knuckling up every day, fighting pride, anger, bitterness, lust, those who are tearing down their own thrones and establishing a place of sacrifice to the one true God. Keep knuckling up. Keep mourning your sin. And keep crying out to the God of heaven who will bring you to and through it. Mm, preacher, go ahead. He's prostrate about his sin. He's mourning over his sin. Do you manage your sin or do you mourn over your sin? High-functioning sinners... 
high functioning idol worshippers. People who serve money other than God. People who serve sex and alcohol, drugs other than God. Or does it cause you to mourn because you've offended the one who's the lover of your soul? David goes around mourning his sins. David almost projecting into the future what we'll read in the Gospels of Peter and Judas. What's the difference in the two? Both of, both of them denied Christ. Judas even went back to the temple, threw the money down at the temple and said, I betrayed an innocent man and he felt bad for his sins. However, his sins and his betrayal of Christ did not lead to repentance. He didn't repent. He just felt bad. I'm not just trying to make you feel bad for sins that you harbor. The sins that you keep in your... I'm not, that's not the point. Peter sinned and betrayed Christ. But he repented. Jesus came to him and he repented. This morning... A little analogy will help you grasp what I'm trying to say with repentance. Imagine a Sunday school class with three, four, or five-year-olds. The teacher says, what is repentance? And little Sally raises her hand. It means feeling bad for what you did. The teacher said, that's a good answer. But little Johnny, we all know little Johnny. Little Johnny stands up and says, no teacher. It's feeling so bad about what you did, you don't do it anymore. Repentance. Throwing those sins down and embracing Christ and Him only. Repentance. How do I do this? It's got a hold over me. It's over my head. It's too heavy. Christian, your repentance is something that you do day by day. Sometimes hour by hour and sometimes minute by minute. Because sometimes it's too heavy to carry. And you need something otherworldly outside you to help you in your walk. But let me assure you, you don't get re-saved when you repent. You're saved once and for all by the work of Jesus Christ. You are justified. It's a legal transaction. God has saved you. And from that point on, He becomes your father. You're His child. But what about when we sin again? But the good news is 1 John tells us in chapter 1, verse 9, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Notice he calls him Father. At once he was our enemy. He was just God. But now he's our Father. So when you repent day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, you're not asking God for forgiveness. You're asking your Father for forgiveness. This is a parental repentance. You belong to God. You're His. I do hope I make myself clear that when my children mess up, they're not orphans anymore. I don't disown them. They're my children. And they ask for forgiveness. And as a loving father, I forgive them. So Christian, when you mess up, go to your father. Ask for repentance. Even if it flows over your head and it's too heavy to bear. He's your father. And he's kind. Let me remind you that God has no orphans. He does not leave you on your own. This is so good to me. I'm sorry. I can't get past it. To know that my God don't save me and say, good luck. No. He walks with me. He talks with me. 
and He calls me His very own. <laughs> Let me get a moment to gather myself here because that's good to me. It may not be good to you because you're, you're more holy than me, but it wrecks this preacher. Praise Him to His knees. For my sins are great, and I need a great Savior. I need a wonderful Redeemer because I've sinned wonderfully. I've exceedingly offended a holy God. So He must exceedingly save me and redeem me by His power 